Yo, what's up? It's Kev with Atmosphere FC, and in today's video, I'll be interviewing my friend Nate Bordeaux, who will be discussing his journey through the American soccer system, his journey in the pros, his soccer school, and the current state of soccer in America. What's up, bro? How you feeling? What's going on, man? Long time no see. Oh, thank you for being here, first and foremost. I appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, bro. Thanks for having me. I'm, you know, you reached out to me a couple weeks ago about Atmosphere FC and kind of your whole idea with everything you had in, in mind. And just from knowing you over the years and through the game of soccer, I thought, to be honest, with your personality and, you know, your experience, your playing experience at the highest of levels, um, there'd be no one better, man. You got the perfect personality for a podcast. And I know you and I were talking about it um, before we started recording about how you were thinking about writing, but you're someone who's got to be on the camera and scene. So I'm, I'm just excited to chop it up a bit with you these next. My G appreciate the words, bro. Uh, means a lot. You know, uh, this platform is for people like me and you, you know, they're growing the system, uh, that want to change the system that want to, you know, leave our, our thumbprint in the game. And I've been working on this podcast for about three months now. And you were one of the first people I thought, you know, not just about interviewing, but about picking your brain and bouncing ideas. Just you've been through it all in the American system. You've seen it all. You've gone on to the pros where I, I haven't seen that side of it. So, you know, I want to pick your brain and actually talk and have a conversation about that side and kind of give you your flowers, bro. Because at the end of the day, bro, I look at your career and your career is a success career. American, you're an American product that did it right, that was successful, that's still doing it. So, bro, people, people have to know, people have to recognize, bro. So respect to you, my brother. I appreciate that, man, for sure. I'm still, uh, don't give me my flowers yet, man. I'm still, I still got a couple years left, I think. Man, I, I love it. I love it, bro. I love that you're still doing it, man. It's wild. Huh? Very different people. We're coming from very different backgrounds. You know, you're from Syracuse. Shout out, Cuse. Man, big Q. I hold it down, man. Anyone who knows me, I hold it down just like you hold down Pasadena, bro. I'm Cuse till I die. Yes, sir. I got to rap home, bro. The roots. You always have to rap, you know, where you come from. And you see it, bro. You to this day, you're you're not repping Rutgers. You're not repping, you know, your club team. You're repping Syracuse. I'm repping Pasadena, bro. That's right. We're very different people. Um, but through soccer has been the glue. You know, I met you when I was 15. We met in 2016 at, in Pomona, California at the Adidas ESP. Yep. For those who don't know Adidas ESP, I don't know if it's still around, but that was the hottest. If you were anybody in youth soccer, if you wanted to be ranked, if you want as a coach, if you wanted to recruit the best talent, you went to Adidas ESP. It was a showcase and it was well organized. And man, actually some research and some homework on it and see what happened to that. But that's where we met. And man, that was 15 years ago, bro. Wild, bro. You're aging us now 15 years ago. That's crazy. Do you have any memories of that, of that experience? For sure, man. I mean, so yeah, like you said, ESP, the way I can relate it to the players now, because I think it kind of went by the wayside when Academy started and, you know, just the whole structure and everything had changed. But, and especially kids around here, the way I relate it is, they know basketball or football. So I say like the McDonald's All-American game for basketball. So same idea, this, the top, I think it was a hundred or so players, sophomores, juniors, seniors, um, got invited out and, you know, we just played. There were college coaches lining up from one corner flag to the next, 
It was no, it was no parents allowed. It was oh. no crowd allowed. It was just a sideline of just college coaches. Yeah, college. it was intimidating, man. But yeah, I just remember I remember being excited and went out to Cali again. I didn't know any players from Cali really. I'm just I'm from Syracuse, polar opposite sides of the country. Um, and I remember just hearing your name, right? You were, I think you were my age, but you're a class below me. Yeah. Um, so I just remember hearing the name that you could play center back and striker. And for me at the time, like that, that in itself blew my mind because I'm smaller, man. I'm five, nine, like you put me in a spot and that's it. Like I need to be in a creative role, but you'd be playing center back one game striker the next game. And then, you know, you fast forward a year and I end up at Boston College. And I remember um, Eddie Kelly, was, yeah. uh, Ed Kelly. So he, uh, he comes up to me, Edvin and Connor Fitzpatrick, my, my two roommates. Um, and he's like, yo, we have this kid, Kevin Mejia from uh, Cali. He wants to, you know, he's looking between, I think, who was it? Us or Duke or Wake? I was close to signing with UConn. Okay, maybe UConn, but he was like, listen, there's there's two players in this class we need. We need Kev and actually another player from Q's Gale, Agbusa Monday. So what a baller. Me and him, Sachi Hot would have played in the back. Wow. Yeah. So he was like, you two, or he's talking to me and Connor and Edvin. He's like, listen, you guys need to recruit Kev. He's like, if you guys we need him here at BC next year. So that's kind of how. You know, you and I got talking a little more after the ESP thing. And then, you know, I don't know if looking forward, we're both happy about the whole Boston College situation. But, you know, <laughs> life, goes, life goes on, man. And, you know, we got you to BC. So you had a big influence on my decision on going to BC. And what's crazy is that you transferred before I even got there. We'll get to my to the BC experience to Edmund Kelly in a little bit. Yeah, man. Bring you back to ESP because bro, I, if there's one thing God has blessed me with, it's with my memory, bro. I have a cool tetrabyte memory where I can bring up <laughs> these scenarios and these experiences and these memories from 15 years ago. So let me tell you what I remember about ESP, bro, about you. Uh, we get selected on the same team. I don't know who our coach was. It was I remember he was ex-pro college. Yeah. Ross Pauly. Ross Pauly. He was a good coach. He was, he was younger cat. What was dope about that ESP program is that there were it was younger coaches, people that had been in the league, and you know they, they were just there to help pick out the great talent that was there. Darlington Nagby was there. Will Bruin, Tio Bun Bunbury, Kevon George was on our team, bro, and he was on our he team. Was, he was coming off the bench for us at ESP, and now he's a he's a Trini International and MLS vet. Bro, that kid was the smoothest guy on the ball. Like, I was so, like, wow. yeah, so quiet though, bro. Uh, Lebo was on there. Mike, uh, Mike, Mike Green ha has had a good career, USL, bro. Our team was loaded. Yeah, man. Man, so we get picked on that first team, man, bro. And first game, first day ESP, we warm up and I'm playing center back. I hated playing center back. The only reason I played center back was because for the regional team, they were like, bro, they had way better attackers, bro. Why faster people, stronger people? At that time, I was one of the up and coming kids so I, you know i had to struggle i had to work my way up to the regional scene so when i got there they were like bro go to play center back and i was like bet yeah. so when i got the first game me and you were on that team bro and 
this got this moment and this is so typical of american soccer got me recruited and got me at least 50 letters in the mail bro i i was one of those center backs that i i would love to carry the ball up and once i, I was I'm, I'm not the fastest guy big as shit and once i pick up speed bro you're not stopping me so i intercept the ball i take it up the field bro i dribble through at least four people as a center back yeah. And my balance, as I lose my balance, I whiff it, bro. Like, swift it, like, two miles per hour, and somehow it's, I score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 1-0, and I'm like, oh, my God. And then I'm right. thinking, I just, God's, God's on your side, bro. I'm like, I just dribbled everybody. And I'm like, damn, it's over. And we win that game, like, 5-0. I think I had, like, two assists, like, long ball assists. But what I remember about this and you, bro, you had a foot injury. And you broke your foot and someone had said, yo, this kid just broke his foot like a month ago yeah. or some crazy thing. And your recovery was mad crazy. Yeah, and, we can that game, and in that game, I I don't know if I shot the ball, but someone shot the ball, bro. And it hit your foot and it rebroke it. It was Lebo. It was Lebo. Lebo. I was making a run across the box and I he was shooting and yeah. He cracked it. He really broke it. No, uh, I think I don't know. I don't, I think it was kind of when I landed on it and then it rebroke. So I came back. I definitely came back, you know, premature and we'll get into kind of how I fell in love with the game later on in the podcast. But so my dad's very intense and yeah. let me finish that story, bro. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And you have such a good game that you still made that all-star off that one game. Yeah, bro. Because yeah. I made that all star too, Darlington. Yeah, Darlington, yeah. Bro, so the fact that, bro, that I, I, that was one of the sickest memories. I was like, bro, this kid's so good. He broke his foot and played one game and still got called. So once I heard you were coming in, once I heard you were there at BC with Edwin Worley, who had, I've, I actually met him before you, I was like, I got to go to BC, bro. Like, yeah, my, the only reason why I even consider going to BC because you, Edwin Worley and Connor Fitzpatrick were there. And I, the, all those, the, the guys that I named were at ESP that year. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy that I got to be part of your early youth career and, you know, to be 15 years fast forward and us to still be talking about the game is incredible, bro. So uh, this episode is going to be dope. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. Back to your pops. Oh, man, jeez. <laughs> so, I mean, growing up and... And I mean, we're going to talk about the culture in the United States, right? Soccer is growing. It's, uh, it's not in our culture like football, basketball. And on top of that, I live in upstate New York. So yeah. you're fighting two cultures, man. You're fighting America and then you're fighting upstate New York. All we know is, come on, man, we're a lot of it's farmers, bro. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. my dad knew. From a super young age, my brother and I would be, we're not going to be the biggest guys, right? We're not going to be the strongest. We're not going to be the fastest. So he looked into, you know, what game can we thrive in? He's a very intense guy. Did your dad play soccer? No, not at all. I, I, I thought he I had I thought I had heard that your dad played in the league, but maybe I'm mistaken. So no, just nothing. Karate, jujitsu, like I, yo, know, my dad, like, yo, so so. My dad has a real obsessive personality. Yeah. So he's, we're about, 
five, six years old. My brother's a little older. So he was kind of like the guinea pig. My yeah. dad went to the library, rented every soccer video, bro. Every IX training video, every book. I still have hundreds of books, DVD, bro, everything. My dad was doing everything to learn the game. And, you know, and he knew growing up, especially in upstate New York, the odds of us to, to be successful are slim to none. Yeah. It's hard enough coming from Jersey, Cali, Texas. Like at least there's culture there. There's, you know, parents who played generations. Like, so he, he would make my brother and I train every single day, bro. At, it's crazy. And going into college, I thought everyone who was at that level went through the same thing. And I'm talking to my boy Yannick, like, yo, we need to train. He's like, what are we talking about? I'm like, bro, like I go into my details. Like my dad put turf in my basement because it's winter, like six months out of the year. So we went to like the local golf dome, got turf, rolled it out. Like me and my brother had no excuse. We had to train every day. Wow. But how, how I relate that to ESP is I broke my foot uh, in state cup. I got invited to ESP and he's like, yo, my son can't miss this event. So he's doing all this research online and he finds this thing called Exogen 2000, right? It, yo, I could talk for hours. And you put it on a fracture or a bone injury and it's supposed to heal the injury in half the time. So we do it for four weeks. I was supposed to be out eight weeks. I'm on the, I'm on the surgery table with my doctor after four weeks and he's like pushing on the bottom of my foot. You know, I broke my fifth metatarsal. And he's like, you feel any pain? And I'm like, no. He's like, we don't have to get the screw. You're good. So then, so then I go to ESP. I play. I made it what day and a half, two days, like you said. Yeah. Boom, I re-break it. <laughs> yeah, so then, I mean, even fast forwarding from there, I get a call because I did so well at ESP to the national team, the U18s. Thanks. Well, the trips to Japan, and it's in what, four weeks. So my dad's like, Ah, we get a second opinion. He's like, what if we do the exogen again? They're like, listen, if he breaks his fifth metatarsal twice in a matter of two months, like he could never play again. Wow. So then, yeah, so then we decided skip the trip. Maybe I, we were thinking I'd get another call up to the U18s. Never happened. Boom. But no, bro, that story, I just got chills, bro. Yeah, bro, but that's just that's just one example of my dad just being a madman. Wow, but bro, that, you balled that game, bro. That Broke game. Court, got called to the All-Star and then got called to the national team. Yeah, so just even, so just before that too, um, just before the ESP, the reason I got called in ESP, I believe we were with the regional team and we were playing in, um, England and Scotland, and we had games against Celtic and Rangers, right? And so just before this is kid Billy Schuler, UNC legend, respect, yo, scored goals for like you'd watch him play, you'd be like, I, I don't know how he does it, but the guy was just always scoring. So the year before this residency is looking for one more player, and our regional team coach came up to me said, you know, it's between you and and Billy basically mentally like I just went out and had a bad game so then Billy ends up getting the call up boom he's in the residency um then the next year we go to England Scotland we're playing against Celtic bro best game of my life I had four goals thank you I, I haven't had I haven't scored four goals in in 
pickup, bro. Score four goals against Celtic, bro. I get on the bus. All the guys start chanting like, who's, who's Billy Shuler? Ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, bro. I was hyped and then scored a goal against Rangers. And then, boom, ESP, yeah. invite national team. But that was it. Wow. What a perfect youth career, bro. Because you dream of getting to a club, making the state team, the regional team. You do all of that. You score four goals. You get called up to the 18s. But back to residency, bro. People got to know how big of a deal the residency program is and was, bro. The 90s, the 88s. That, that was like the first, I think Landon Donovan's class was the first with the Mar Marcus Beasley. And then, you know, it went to the 88s. It had, I remember, well, not Kirk Urso, man. Kirk, all right. was, Kirk was my year. Kirk Urso, RIP, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah residency, man. Man, he wasn't residency. I'm, I'm thinking about Kirk Cuevas from, he went for the Galaxy because he was my host. I went to a residency camp too. My first, first you know, ex national team experience was at the residency camp. And it was I that thought you were there. U.S. soccer picks 40 players in the country and moves them to Bradenton, Florida and at the IMG Academy. They train as it should, but it's really, it's amazing. And, you know, to make that so bad, bro. And I balled out. But at that time, I was still not a full American citizen, bro. I, I wouldn't say that I had to play with it, but like that was, that's what makes me feel comfortable. But I really think that I had to play with it, bro. I'm um, sure, yeah. You know, you would wake up go to class, train before class, train after class, and be in a soccer atmosphere 24-7. So I know for me, man, that was the that was the one thing as a youth that's the highest honor you could you could get was being called into residency. Yeah, man. Shout out to all those guys that made it. So many every guy who was on that list, our year 1991 deserved to be on that list. Bro. Oh, for sure, man. Keenan Williams. Those guys were lit legit. Danny Barrera. Uh, Dave, Dave McVeigh. I don't know if you know Dave, but he was a white boy. Yeah, with the with the uh, with the hair. Yo, he had swag. So he played it. I played at Rutgers with me. He yo, he was the best player for my age in the country for a while, bro. He was amazing. So after that ESP, ESP made an all-star team. Yep. And we went to England. And Dave McVeigh was on that trip, bro. And this guy, bruh, you couldn't get close to him. In a six-yard space, he would get out of everything. Everything, bro. And I, bro, I, one funny story about Dave McVeigh. If he, if he's listening out there, bro, uh, he'll listen to this for sure. Oh man, shout out to Dave McVeigh. That's my, that's my boy, man. We went to Rutgers together. He's, he's a he great dude. Why this conversation was brought up at 15 years old? But we're in, we're in England. We're in Liverpool, actually. We're going to a Liverpool game, and he's telling me that his dad, like, is a USDA steak he knows everything about steaks yo that's wild because he, st he he still works in the butcher shop bro you're lying bro so he's just telling me about steaks bro and i'm like man because I, I think we were talking because we had lunch and the lunch was terrible but but that's what i remember about david McVeigh. and i remember one time we played one of those games one of the craziest things i've seen this kid do was he received a ball like someone shot it bro and he it wasn't it was a direct shot he velcro touched it and then Maradona 360 between two players in the box. Yeah. And I thought he didn't score because it would have been, there's should have would have been footage, but that I was like, wow, this kid's hit. He's a he's a he's a white kid like me from Albany, too. He I don't know where he got it from, but yo, he was a baller, bro. About I don't know, because I, I knew you played on the national team. I just didn't know what your timeline was, but bro, our, our timeline was legit, like. 
everything because you're a 90 i'm a 90 what was dope what was crucial and critical about our year was that it was a world cup year so that's why the recruiting was heavy that's why yeah that's why you wanted to make it to play with the 17s in the world cup bro i was so you know i would wake up at two in the morning i, I don't remember where the world cup was but i was waking up at like two in the morning to watch the games and i was so salty that i wasn't there man man like, all respect billy Schuler earned it for sure like you can't take that away for it, to be an, for it to be an either or thing man and it was like it was an opportunity i didn't take advantage of i was so so jealous man uh, but it's just bad luck bro you can, your foot was broken bro it's part of the game you know your foot breaks again you don't have this long career you know so i think you made the right decision it's yeah i would say you would you had the the dream american youth career you know, you played at every, you climbed every ladder. You even, you know, even after amateur, all the way up, you know. Um, let's talk about BC, bro. After this great youth career that you have, you go to BC. Ed Kelly. Chestnut huh. Hill. <laughs> How did you get there? What went into that process? And then we'll talk a little bit about the experience. Okay. So for me, um, you know, I was I wasn't highly recruited up until maybe my sophomore junior year because again I'm from a, I'm from Syracuse I'm from upstate so it's not as well recruited well known lightning struck when I did well with the regional team ESP it all kind of came at once right I was being recruited like you said like you your recruiting went through the roof after ESP right the second the second I made um the all-star team and I was on my flight back home from, from Cali. I remember Villanova was very high on my list and they're, a, they're a mid, they're a mid D one team, right? Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're up and down. So it's, there's nothing bad about it, but I just remember um, coach Carlin, the assistant coach at the time calling me like, damn, we lost you. Like after you had that, that show out at ESP, like there's no way we're going to be able to get you. Like it's a joke. But Wake Forest, all these big schools, Maryland, everyone was just calling. Um, and for me, the final schools I was looking at were between Wake, Maryland, Boston College, and surprisingly, New Mexico. It was just random. Um, New Mexico has a good program. Mike, great, great, pro great program. Mike Green went to New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So I, I knew he had committed before and he was on our ESP team. Um, oh, in West Virginia, sorry. Narrowed it down to West Virginia and Boston College. And um, the reason I liked West Virginia, you know, the coach was awesome. Marlon, he's still there, like great guy. And Ray Gaddis, who I met at ESP, great play. I mean, the guy's had a legendary career in MLS. He was on the ESP team with us too. Awesome guy, like, like the perfect career you could want in MLS, right? He's I was about to say that dream American career. I got to get him on the podcast. I got to pick his brain, bro. Shout out Gray Gaddis. Stand up gentleman, bro. Yeah, for sure. He's doing great things from everything I see from afar. But he was he was committed to to West Virginia and he was he was texting me a lot trying to get me to go there. But then Kevin Anderson was the assistant at BC legend. Like yeah. to this day probably one of the coolest one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. 
Facts. The only reason I probably went to Boston College to begin with. More facts. Kevin Anderson was probably the only reason why I went to Boston College. The best, you know, the best recruiter could relate to him. Amazing guy. So it comes down to these schools. And to be honest, all I cared about at the time was, was soccer. That's all I ever wanted to do from the age of five. So I'm looking at the team like man, I know Ray's going there. I know the recruiting class is stacked at West Virginia. Boston College was having an amazing year. They were second in the country, but I always thought West Virginia was looked at as better historically. And my dad, yo, my dad being the guy he is was, yo, I told him, he's like, where are you looking to go? And I'm like, I think West Virginia, he flipped. What do you mean? Like Boston College is a top 10 academic school. Like wouldn't that... Yo, he wouldn't even let me consider West Virginia after that. I was like, he scared me. I'm like, all right, I'm going to BC. So then I end up at BC. Edvin Worley, actually our good boy, was committed to UNC Greensboro, I believe. Um, And me and Eddie go way back. So I met Edvin when we were 14 years old. We both randomly had trials with West Brom in England. He was there two weeks before me. I was there like a week overlap, we were staying with the same host family. And so our parents kind of stayed in touch. So I had no idea. And Edwin, Edwin's, I talked to Edwin every week. Edwin was one of my, boy, I had no clue he was committed and decommitted to go to yeah. B- play. Damn. I, I ruined some lives by getting some guys to go to Boston College. Bro. All right, go on, you get to BC. So I get to BC and it's just, I mean, you know how it is there. It's like one, it's a, it's definitely a shock for me academically. I got thrown in the business school. Yeah. Oh, wow. CSOM. CSOM, man. It's no joke. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I was known for being a bit of a, like a hustler and a schmoozer in school. So I would kind of charm my way through class. As we all did. As we all did. And you, and I, I didn't know what it was like to commit really to school. So I struggled academically coming in for, with a broken foot too, from, from my senior year. I started lifting weights going into, into, into my freshman year. I put on weight. But, I mean, I, a lot of it I look back and I was immature. I was young. And I, I, as much as I don't necessarily agree with a lot that Ed does. I don't either. Let's put she, that. We could go on for days about that. Yeah. Um, I'm the type of person that I like to look in the mirror. And I definitely did a lot of things I would do differently. But, you know, also, I didn't realize it wasn't the type of place for me, the type of student body it is. It's like, it's just not my crowd. So at the time, it seemed like when I was transferring, it seemed like the end of the world. But it was, bro, it was the biggest blessing in disguise going to Rutgers. And it was, I love it, bro. Rutgers to me is so the greatest before, thing that could have happened. Before we get into the transfer and you transferring from BC to Rutgers, you, you know, clearly, well, it was a great decision. I'm glad you made that decision. Yeah, let's talk about the BC soccer program a little bit because I went through the same experience. Um, I, very similar experience as yours, but you know, the only thing that I didn't do was transfer. And I didn't transfer because I didn't have the information. I didn't have the guidance from my club team. At that time, bro, my youth club was supposed to be there for me. Yeah, Boston College is a is a hard place, bro. You know, it's a great college. You get a full ride scholarship to BC. You get that's an opportunity of a lifetime. Lifetime. That's, that's something I couldn't give up. 
you know, uh, BC was my safety school, bro. Like I, I didn't even think about BC. I didn't know they were good academically. I had UNC, I had Wake Forest and my mentality was like, I got to play with the top dogs. You know, I talked to Paul Kellajuri when I was 15 and this guy told me, bro, where do you want to go to college? Shout out Paul Kellajuri, man. He changed my life. He's the reason why, you know, I played D1. He told me, for those who don't know, Paul Kellajuri is a LA Galaxy legend, US national team legend, just American soccer legend. He was the coach at Cal Poly Pomona. And he tells me, bro, like, I'm not even going to bother recruiting you here. I'm going to tell you, you got to play with the big dogs. You got to go to UCLA where I went. So I'm like, yes, I'm from LA. I got to go to UCLA. I get to ball in front of my people. That's where I got to go. So I didn't want to go East Coast. I wanted to go to UCLA. I wanted to go to UCSB. They're powerhouses. Uh, Danny Barrera was going to UCSB. And I was going anywhere where Danny Barrera went, bro. I played with that guy. Club team. Baller. Baller, but regional. Baller. Still doing it, bro. Shout out Danny Barrera. Um, so he went to UCSB. And he actually tried to tell me, bro, graduate. This is how. That's how committed I was to going to UCSB with Danny Barrera. He told me, bro, the coach wants you here, graduate early somehow and come. And I actually looked into getting my GED, graduating early. Yeah. And, and it just didn't work out just because of the timing. But I was with the national team. I was with the regional team. So I was like, you know. You I don't know any different. Yeah, you don't know any different. My goal for this, this, for this platform is to educate and give information to parents to up and coming uh, players about the college process and about the decisions that you have to make and because there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area that people still don't know about how to get in how to uh, how to get recruited what goes on behind the scenes the coaches and all of that so you know my parents were very me and my dad don't really have the best relationship, but because of soccer, you know, we, we you know, we were, we were able to, to manage and he was very excited about the college process. But again, we were very uneducated and very unfamiliar with the process. So I go to Argentina with the national team, Zach McMath, mm -hmm. uh, Brian Dominguez, Danny Barrera was on there, Latif, bro, Bill Hamid was on that team. Uh, all these guys had committed and Bill Hamid was like one of the people that were like, I'm not going to college. I'm going pro. And I was like, it took me forever to make a I came back from that trip. And I remember Eric Yamamoto, who was the, it was Dave Sarikan and Eric Yamamoto and that staff. And they were like, Hey man, we're just giving you this heads up because they told me you're taking forever to commit to a school. You should have been committed. And so heads up that these people are going to start taking away your scholarship, like percentages. Yeah. And me was like, what? So I get, I get back to the States. I haven't got a no official visit. I'm about to be a senior. So I'm, I'm stressed. And I'm telling my, my dad, I'm like, we got to make a decision by November because this is, and it's bro, the crazy part that it started to happen. Yeah. I would, you know, I would, I had a, a official visit planned to Yukon, Yukon, boom, bailed on me. Then UNC sat in my living room, bro. And probably the biggest, not, it's not a regret, but if there's somewhere I, I should have gone instead of BC, it should have been UNC. For sure. Post sat in my living room and he was like, bro, come to UNC and we're going to win. You're going to get a ring. Yeah. And you're going to go pro. Oh, I, man. And the thing that I didn't go to UNC because it was too far, bro. Yeah. So 
No, nah, I say UCLA, UCLA. Nah, but you end up at BC. What do you mean? <laughs> well, that's the funny part. So my recruiting process goes on and I'm taking forever. And BC is the only school out of a list of like 50. BC is the only school. BC was the first school that offered me a full ride my freshman year after ESP, which I was a sophomore. Yeah. And the school that stuck with me the whole time, bro. And to a point that they were sending so many. Kevin Anderson was. He's the best, bro. Man, he was recruiting me so heavy that my dad had to be like, he's a sophomore. He's, you know, let him play a little bit, let him grow a little bit, and then we'll come back to you. And he, we kept in touch. And BC was the only school that did it, that the scholarship was always on the table with BC. So they were like, we'll fly you out. I went to my official visit. You were there. Edwin Worley was there. Alejandro Bedoya was there. It was a solid team. I remember Mario was there. Sean Chin was there. Oh. Ruben Ayarna was the year uh, before me. That, of course. Oh, that was so, the best team in the country the year before I got there. Yeah, man. So BC had been a good program. So I'm like, you know what? I go to my official visit. And I don't want to be there. The airport doors open. I step in 40 degree weather for the first time. I look at I look at Patrick Chin, who's from Pasadena. Yeah, shout out Chin. Shout out who's your roommate. Yeah. I go, bro, y'all gonna play in this weather? Yeah. Yeah, bro, it's only gonna get colder. And he was ready. And I'm like, bro. Yo, he's crazy. Bro. I look at him and 10 seconds into being in Boston, I said, bro, I'm not coming to school here. I'm not playing soccer here because it was so cold, bro. We go to the game. You guys are playing UNC, but Doyle, Alejandro. Oh, hat trick. Hat trick. Bro, that guy was on fire. Newton going crazy. Me going yeah. crazy. I'm like, yo, this is where I could play. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I can make this my kingdom. So, yeah. you know, I met with that Kelly. I, I, I met with Kevin Anderson and they told us, you know, oh, the situation you're in and we're not dumb. And we know that you're, you know, they pretty much knew like, yo, you've taken forever to make a decision and schools have taken away your scholarship money. So it'll be, it will be dumb for me to pass up a, a pass it up. Yeah. So I committed on the spot, bro. On the, I, at that meeting, I was like, I'm coming. They sold you, man. They sold you. They told me the dream. They told you the dream, man. That's what these coaches are. They're salesmen. Man, salesmen, bro. And four, there's very few, there's very few. And like going back about what you're talking about, helping these kids. And that's again, what we, you and I didn't know. And you, there's no coverage on ESPN, on TV about, you hear about Coach K, you hear about all basketball coaches and football coaches. There's no coverage on college soccer. Mm -hmm. So you, the only interaction and knowledge you have on who they really are is your experience with them. Yeah. And the best programs are, have the best salesmen, like Kevin Anderson. Mm -hmm. he, he was amazing at recruiting. He's an amazing guy. So they're always going to be good. And once they get you in the door, at least for me, they have you. You know, like you're there. You're just a number. You're just a. You're just a number. And if you don't turn out to be the player you want them to be, they'll make your life living hell. And you're, even if, bro, your kids, we're 18, we're 17, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do things. But it's a business, man. These guys are salesmen. And I tell all these kids I train now, like, yeah, these coaches are, are gassing you up, but they're trying to sell you their program. It's yeah. different when you get there, man. You're just. You're just an, another player on the roster. 
Facts. All, all you said is I agree with everything you just said. So let, let me get let me bounce a little bit off that. The college system is good as far as plane level. But that's all it is, bro. A good plane level. As far as like the structure, the infrastructure, the resources, the coaching, the staff is not what a it's not what a 17 to a 22 year old needs to develop. So our that's why I feel like our product is getting leaked out the most promising talent is getting burnt out by the college system there's so many coaches in this program that have been in these programs for 25 years bro that played soccer so long ago that are so direct and so stubborn with their philosophies that someone like me and you who go and show up who are creative players that we come from good youth clubs and when we don't fit the the perfect robot system we're less valuable and they try to push us out and the experience, that's why, man, I don't want to, like I said, my BC college experience was a blessing. One of the best decisions I made in my life. I wouldn't change it, but, but I, I also feel like they didn't give me the proper guidance, the proper tools or the proper, just even morale, bro. Morale, like college soccer. And it was such a draining process and no disrespect to Ed Kelly, but I also don't owe Ed Kelly nothing because Ed Ed Kelly did nothing for me, as you you've seen it, and so many other players saw it and went through it, and you know their soccer morale got killed at Boston College because of the staff of someone like Ed Kelly, and there's so many people, so many other coaches in the country that are like this, gonna stunt the growth of American soccer. So this is not to you know. Point. It's, not, it's not it's not a Boston College Ed Kelly bash segment, of course, but that's our experience. And I think to, to build off of what you were saying, college players like you and I uh, and players who are have the talent coming from high school and 16, 17 year olds should be having long pro careers no matter what. You should have a few players here and there that fall through the cracks for whatever reasons, whether it's off-field distractions or just things happening, but you take the most talented players in the country and you throw them into a university where the you're playing with your teammates three months out of 12. Yeah. Your season's three months. Your preseason is three weeks. You're uh, living on your own for the first time in your life, you're around partying, you're around drinking, you're around girls, you're around distraction. The, like you're you're taking classes that you weren't prepared for in high school. So yeah. you're you're it's it's more of a, it's an experience more than anything. The mm -hmm. odds shouldn't be in my eyes. The odds shouldn't be stacked against you for talented players going to college. It should be like, hey, I made it to BC or Maryland. Now. I should make it pro if I do everything right. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like it's, hey, I'm super talented. I made it to a division one program. Now only a couple of us are going to be lucky enough to make it to MLS or Europe or, and you can't blame, there's no one to really blame because who do you blame? Do you blame the university structure? You can't blame the coaches. They have three weeks to get you. So you can't really, as a coach, you can't focus on tactics. You can't have your players playing a system in a style in three weeks. So a lot of these coaches just say, I'm going to get my kids as fit as possible. Yeah. 
they have to, you got to think this is their job. So if they don't win or their kids aren't getting good grades, they're fired. Yeah. So the best way to get results in college soccer is be fit, work hard, and only the top like two or three teams can actually have 11 ESP players that came there that can just ball. Yep. We have guys that are non-scholarship players that are playing, yep. you know, so it's like you're blending talent with it's it's such a you know it's such a it's a hard ask for any coach like maryland wake forest akron those teams could could play because they're bringing in 11 kev kevin's 11 nates 11 edvins 11 darlington's like but the other ones you're just there's so much distraction going on in school and you know like like i said you're living on your own bro for the first time ever you see girls you see freedom you see parties you're only with your team the season three months yes you nailed it um so many distractions so these many kids, these kids in europe are playing every day to be a play. distractions that keep you away from just focusing on your craft as a soccer player you know so from 18 to 20 if you're not training every day if you're, you're so far behind you're so far behind bro that 10,000 hour stuff they say about becoming a pro Facts, bro. These, these kids, it's like you're sending these the, the top talent in our country to to get worse. You have restrictions. You're not allowed in the spring, you're not allowed to train more than what three times a year. You can lift twice. Like it's ridiculous, bro. The college system, a lot of it doesn't make sense. The time, the clock is still running backwards. We still can only train X amount of hours in the spring. Like, and the coaches aren't necessarily even the best coaches. They're just guys who can who have a degree and they want to stay close to yeah, the yeah. Who who were close to the coach when they were playing, right. and the coach used them to be the paper pushers, and then they worked their way, and now they're the coach, and they're caring more about grades and behavioral. Like it's just not going to work, man. It's not going to work for what we're trying to brew and how far we're behind with soccer the college system is not going to work if there's not any reform if there's any not any change you transfer to Rutgers but before we transfer to Rutgers and go on bro 2012 man we're number four in the country and to go into the NCAA tournament we have a good year we get a bye week and we play Rutgers I'll go I'll go from my perspective so I left BC not on the greatest terms, right? Um, I was immature. Um, I did it to myself um, and I transferred. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, shout out my boy Yannick for blessing me with the Rutgers opportunity. It just so happened that uh, a player by the name of Dilly Duca, who is- New Jersey baller. Yo, baller. Bro, one of the three best players I've ever played with. You know what's crazy? I just got a, a, I talked I talked to Sachi Hot yesterday. And yeah, he, they're boys. Yeah, they're Albanian. Yeah, I was like, bro, please put in a word with Dilly Duca. That he his story and bro, he nice. Oh. So so anyway, so so Yannick, so I'm looking to transfer. Um, Yannick and I go way back. So we go back from 12 years old with the regional team. And he calls me and he's like, he was at Maryland. So he was, he been, had been through the transfer. transfer from Maryland to Rutgers? Right. He was Maryland's top dog. He was a number eight as a freshman, full ride. Yeah. 
I didn't. Yeah, Yannick was big time. Yannick Solomon. Yeah. Shout out Yannick Solomon, bro. We're gonna yes. bring. Sure. He'll be on for sure. So he was, he was a, uh, he was a grade above me, but same, same, same year with the regional team. And he, he kind of knew my situation. And he's like, "Yo, listen." He's like, "I'm coming from a big program in Maryland. Didn't work out like I thought. I landed on Rutgers." He's like, "I know you don't know much about it. I didn't know much about Rutgers at all, to be honest." he's like dilly just got called up to the 20s he balled he's going to be leaving to go pro i got a full ride for you you just say the word i'm like wow i'm like done yo he saved my life because i was lost bro yeah alley boom so he's like sets me up full ride i'm at rutgers you know we'll fast forward we had some up and down years um a lot of coaching changes whatnot my senior year, things are going well for us. We turn the program around. Um, we were bubble NCAA tournament. So we're all watching like, you know, the, the, you guys were top four. Like you said, you guys knew where you were going to go. You were, you were in. We, uh, we had a little watch party um, and Rutgers versus Colgate pops up. Colgate's another upstate New York school. So I uh, guys are hype, whatever. But I look forward to the next round and I see Boston College with the bye. And I'm like, I'm so focused that year though. So I'm not looking past, like, you know, when you're just in the zone with certain things, you're like, you're feeling your game. Yeah. Um, so then I just remember logging on Facebook and I had a message from Carl Reddit. And he's like, yo, I know you don't want to look ahead, but he's like, I know you see BC in the next round. So I'm like, I don't even think I responded. I wanted to take care of Colgate first. So we end up beating Colgate. And then, bro, I'm getting messages from Jeremiah Gallington. I'm getting messages from Carl, like, yo, you're coming back to Newton. Like, and they all know my situation, how it left with, with Ed. So they're all like gassing me up. So we get to, we get to Boston College and before the game, you guys are, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but Ed was confident, right? Ed, I feel like, looked past us. Yeah. So I'm super focused. Me and Ed don't really have the greatest relationship. He makes sure he comes over to me in the warm-ups. And we hadn't spoke since I left. I had no clue he did this. What? I yeah. had no clue he did this. So he comes up to me, you know Ed. He's like, slick back hair, all like sly. Nate, come here. Calls me over. I'm warming up, bro. I didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, good luck today. And he like winks at me and shakes my hand. I'm like, this fucking guy, bro. So then we go in, we play the game. It's a good game, to be honest. Like, you guys had talent through the roof. Uh, we had a lot of, bro, we had a lot of talent, like ESP players, but we just never put it together. Like, Sam Archer, baller. Uh, Eve Kamara, our striker, baller. JP Correa, ball, like Kenny as a ballers. But just, we had so many down years. These guys were kind of off the mat. Um, you could cross it in, one of our outside backs, own goal. Our, we go down maybe last couple minutes, cross it. Our striker, Eve, scores a goal, ties it. Whatever, we go into PKs. So then, you know, uh, you guys miss, we win. Yo, I made sure the first person I greeted after the game, I didn't want it like no salt in the wound to Connor, all you guys. I knew how it felt. Like I didn't want, you guys are my boys. 
but I ran right over to Ed, bro. And I was like, hey, yo, his back was to me. He didn't want to see me. I think Carl was at the game. He was watching like in the booth. And he's like, and I'm like, yo, Ed, I'm like, good game. And I was like, like hard luck, basically. Yo, he did not want to shake my hand, bro. He did not want to acknowledge me. Bro. I, yo, I sat on the field after that game, my, me and my boy Arch, and he's like, I can't imagine how this feels for you coming back your senior year, beating this guy on his home field when they're the top dogs. Bro, for me, like, bro, storybook. <laughs> And then we get waxed by UCLA the next round. But, but bro, beating you guys, I had to sit there outside the field. Every, all my teammates, my coaches were like, they knew what it meant. It was. What a moment. What a, I was, I lost that game. And I remember you sitting in a circle, bro. Yeah. And I said, man, I'm so happy for my dog, bro. Like, you know, it was just something I knew. I don't think we talked before the game, but I just knew I was just like, yo, this, this dude is going to come out to kill today. So for us to lose and for us to, you know, everything set in, like, I'm like, what a moment for Nate or Doe, bro, to win it, to come back and win it in front of Ed Kelly's face. Like, yeah, man. What it's, what, I, it's, it's what it's what everyone who kind of went through the way Ed was that had would want to do, whether they transferred or not, you know? Like, yeah. no one's like, damn, I feel bad for Ed. You're like, damn, like. Oh, I'm glad, glad, bro. I'm glad that, that moment wasn't just for you, dog. That moment was for, like you said, everyone. Dude, Edvin, bro, everyone who's been, who's been mistreated through that whole program, bro. Yeah, my man, what a. So after BC, after your college career, you, I'm a Cinderella college career, uh, career, bro. You started at BC, big program, didn't work out. Transfer to Rutgers, not so big program, but had a way better career, you know? So for anyone that's watching for any college. You can, uh, change, you can change it, man. You can change your situation around. Bro, my, even my situation at Rutgers was bad at one point. So I transfer off. I transfer in my sophomore year and the coach loved me. Like he was the guy who brought me in. He ends up getting five or steps down. Bob Riasso, legend, like put him on the same level for me as, Kevin Anderson in terms of people I got respect for in the, in the coaching game, but he, he steps down after an amazing career and I get another new coach. Oh, man. Now I got a guy who, who just wants to clean house. Yeah. So bro, I was in the doghouse there and it took me, my junior year was brutal, man. But like, and we can talk about this and I, I tell all the kids I train, bro, you can, I've been in some of the worst situations with coaches at the end of the day, the only way I've gotten out of it, you just got to look in the mirror, man. Like whether it's your fault or their fault, you have to figure out they're people. So yeah. you got to figure out what they don't like about you and fix that. Yeah. I hear you. No, at the end of the day, fix that. Because if you fix what they've been telling you to do, an honest human being is going to give you a fair shot. So I, I could make all the excuses I wanted, but you know, you just focus on yourself and everything else will fall into place, man. It really will. I hear you. Uh, let me share my experience with that. I wasn't in a happy situation. Ed Kelly, every every meeting we had was, hey, you should transfer. UCLA, UCLA. He told me this. Yeah, bro. I've heard it all from him, man. This is how savage some of these college coaches are. I get called in a meeting and he tells me, you're not playing that well. You don't fit my system. I was playing hella well. 
all the four years at BCL was top three best players. I can say that with confidence. Yeah. Kelly tells me, you better think about it. UCLA, New Mexico are offering transfers, you know, with scholarship. You would fit better there. So let me know. He's just trying to free up scholarship money. I had the same song and dance. That's such a big problem, bro. Co co coaches trying to free up scholarship. Ed Edvin had the same thing. The B but yeah. these coaches piggybacking off what you said. Yeah, man. They're just trying to, they're using players. Using players, bro. And and it was such an for me, now that I look back, like I said, like I don't blame anybody. I don't blame Mike Kelly. I don't blame Boston College. To me, I did it. To me, I'm a success story, bro. I come from nothing from El Salvador, get here a scholarship for free. Like yeah. I won. So I remember thinking like, bro, I'm only, I did this to myself. I, you know, I, I can't blame Matt Kelly. So the best thing that I could do was just ball out. I remember telling myself, I got to do everything in my power to graduate because yeah, man. Like he's trying to get you out. Yeah. He made it, he made it living hell, bro. To be honest. He did. He did. But it made, but it made, it made me stronger, man. A hundred bro. And yeah. So, um, after Rutgers, uh, no, I, I had a couple, uh, not private, but invite only tryouts with the Revs, Philly Union, um, some more local teams around the area, MLS teams to Rutgers. And, uh, you know what, for, for whatever reason, I, I didn't get drafted. You know, I was the only player to make all Big East that didn't get drafted. Really? The only one. Who, who, um, who were Big East players that year? Walter Hines, um, Pablo Punyed, Walter's the man. Um, who else was there? Uh, Kenny Walker, a lot of Louisville boys. Um, I mean, there, there was a bunch, man. And like uh, Callum Malice was good for Marquette, very good. Um, so then it just so happened that Syracuse started this I had never heard of pro indoor in my life. Like, bro, you, you and I grew up hoping to play. You think of Chelsea at the highest or, yeah. or even like MLS. Okay. Like we used to always talk about. Um, and then Edvin, our boy who left school early was texting me one day when I was in class at Rutgers. And he's like, this is the first time I heard of indoor soccer. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm training with Sporting KC, but um, it's just not the right time to sign with them. And they put me with Kansas City Comets. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> he's just like explaining indoor to me. And he's like, yo, he's like, it's actually like legit. Like he's just telling me about it. And like in one year out the other, you know, I was in the middle of my senior year at Rutgers. I was just thinking further. Yeah. Um, fast forward. Syracuse gets a professional indoor soccer team the year before, same league, MISL at the time. So I'm home. It's winter break. It's right before the draft. I'm training with the team. Like I know the owner pretty well. I know the coach. Um, they're local guys. Um, shout out Tommy Tanner, legend. I don't know if you know, legend in the game. Anyone who knows him, legend. Um, and I'm training with the team. The draft comes, it goes. I, my name doesn't get called. Um, I'm depressed. I'm like, all right, you know what? Like, I don't even know what to do, you know, because you and I are first generation going through this. Like, 
what do you do next? What, like what's really next? So I go back to, I go back to school. Um, my assistant coach sets me up with his agent that he had when he was in MLS. Uh, spring in my spring uh, semester wanted me to go try out for all these USL teams. And I, bro, I didn't know, like growing up, I told you my dad was intense. So the dream was always, the bar was always like, yeah. So I didn't know what USL was. I didn't know. So he, this agent's trying to get me to, to leave school and go try out and pay my way for these tryouts. Like, bro, I'm a broke college kid. I don't have the money to do that. Yeah. And I'm on a full scholarship like you. Like, so do I go and try out? And then if I'm there long enough, they string me along like they did my boy Arch with the Rapids. He, yeah. he made, he had an open tryout. They kept him there for three months. He had to get rid of his full scholarship and they cut him the next week. So then I'm like, I'm not going to risk free education for second division to pay for something. I don't have the means of paying for the travel, the expenses. Yeah. Um, I finished my spring year. I graduated from Rutgers, went back and I was still trying to go on. The agent was trying to send me on trials and, and all this and the indoor I was training more with the indoor team and I kind of just fell into it, man. Like they offered me a contract. It was comparable, if not better than any USL contract I was going to get. Um, it was, it was the off season of USL. So I was in my head, I was like, okay, I'll play one year indoor and then boom, pursue, you know, you're still thinking MLS is possible because it's only yeah. a year removed and you see all our boys are playing. Yeah. Um, and then bro, I, I, the one year turns into two years, turns into three years, and then I'm a, I'm nine I'm a nine year indoor vet, bro. And yo, love Ed bro, I love it. And let me before we get into the, your pro career, your pro indoor career. Yeah, let's talk about how hard it is for after college, bro. There's no blueprint, no gaudy guidance, no system. Impossible. What do we? Where do we play? It's impossible. You know, so and, and you're looked at as used goods. Exactly. And we're only 22. We're which, which is crazy too, because this is back to college. The scouting is terrible for college players to begin with. Yeah. Facts. So like you can recruit basketball and NFL player and NBA players from an NFL from college because every game's on ESPN yeah. the budget for these scouts is through the roof. You have pro scouts at every game. How many pro how many pro teams came to watch? And you guys are lucky being close to the revs. So maybe the revs went to your games. No. But how many of these kids, how many of these MLS scouts have actually seen these kids they're drafting? Facts. Very facts. And what's crazy about the drafts, bro, you get drafted, you're not you guaranteed. Cut. <laughs> like, so what is a draft for? It's such, there's so much stuff that is for show and for, to make, it's not logical and it doesn't make sense. So, doesn't make sense. you know, I believe that the USL, the, these these amateur leagues are the way to go if you look at these communities is where we start you know if you look at these communities Hartford have uh Atlanta United too the second yeah. team a good following they have a good following these these facilities are being built for USL yes. teams it's so getting better. it's getting better better 100 but at the same but time it's so far still it's still not connected bro the MLS is not connected to the USL for promotion regulation like yeah. there's accountability for success and success matters bro you got to give these players something to play for if you are you if you know if you end up at the usl 
you can ball out, your team can win it, but you your team may not play, you know. And so, so for me, uh, a good piggyback off of that is um, I played one year with the Rhinos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, amazing, right? Another storybook story, man, my God. Um, I joined the team halfway through the, uh, about halfway through the year because one of my boys who played indoor with me was on the team and he was their top dog. For yeah. me, we, we're going to talk about, players we respect and players in the league. Canardo Forbes, I don't know if you know the name. I don't. My God. The best player I've played with any level. But he's he was he was uh he was on the indoor team with me for four years and he I was just texting him like yo Rochester's right down the street from Q it's hour and a half. Indoors just around the corner. I have my business so I'm busy and I'm like yo could I just come in and train with the team just to stay fit and get ready for indoor he's like yeah no problem boom so he's texting or he texts me back like yo bob lily the coach come wants you to come in you no problem come and train so i'm there training time goes by they sign me um we end up winning the league winning the whole championship beating your la galaxy two yeah. in, the, in the finals what was um, um what's his name uh Light skin dude, striker, Lassiter. Ari Lassiter. Yeah. Um, legend, Roy Lassiter, MLS legend. Legend. Um, I think one of your boys, uh, he, so we ended up winning the league. I think we had the best record ever for a USL team, right? We didn't lose a game or only lost one game the whole year. And zero guys go to MLS. How's that possible, bro? The team, like, obviously the team's not going to move up, but like, no, one guy, I think, well, our outside back got a tryout with Philly Union, but you're like, it's just there's no, there's no, there's, mo there's dream, bro. There's literally no dream. Like for no us, dream. so for us to go play as a soccer nation, for us to aspire to win a World Cup, but we have to give something for pride and for for success here in the country first. And that yeah. builds a culture. It's. I mean, that makes, it makes, like, it makes your area, your local area more excited about the team. It builds, it builds the culture. People lock in. We hear Alexi Lala's 12, Taylor 12 men talk about culture, culture, culture. How do we build culture? And it's, it's like. Soccer's a business in America. Why can't you tell us what culture is, bro? Like, you know, like these people that are on there, but no one could give us these answers. Like, why aren't we good at soccer? What is culture? And what you just say, you build culture by giving the community something to look forward to something to bring them together and soccer's for the people and in america it's for it's for the business owners man man bro we're in this we're in this situation because of greed and money yeah. i mean it's just the way all american sports goes like mm -hmm. and i get it like as a business owner what i want to i was listening to a podcast with uh the 49ers i think i don't know if he's owner or part owner but he's involved over in the prem now um with maybe with Tottenham and he's like he's like man we this promotion relegation he's like as a business owner it sucks because uh -huh. bro that's your business if you don't if you don't get promote if you don't stay up yo, yeah. your business is dead it could be dead so I get like these MLS owners are like I'm not risking like I look at this as a business yeah no 100 percent and, and and like what Gary Neville said bro no one's opposed to doing soccer business but we have to do it the right way and yeah. the 
some of these owners are big people who just throwing money out there, you know, to them, they, they got to protect their investment. So they don't really care the behind the scenes or the logistics of our team works. Um, and it's, yeah, but there's no skeleton that, you know, there's no hope, but back to like where we were going, like players after college, if you're not in, if you're not under contract anywhere right away, it's hard. It's a grind. You just got to try and land somewhere. And even when you do, bro, I know guys playing USL for 600 bucks a month. Like, Oh, these contracts, man, that's my goal for this podcast too, to cover these contracts, to cover these conditions that these players are, bro, it's, you cannot be a, I think, I feel like America is the only place where you could be a professional athlete and still need another job. Be making less than minimum wage, man. Bro, and we're 22 after college, 23, you know, and this is considered young, but we should be in our prime years. And then the system doesn't give us a, a, a place to develop. So we're, we end up in this situation with no hope, no faith, you know, you're no, kind of, no one to point you in the right direction. No one, to, nothing. No direct blueprint on how, what I do, how to, you know, if I want to continue to play soccer. But we go back to a 16-year-old, 18-year-old, bro, right? They get signed. They get put onto a US, uh, to a MLS team. But then Iguain comes. Uh, Ashley Cole comes. David Beckham comes. And they put people in the seats and 100%. It's part of the business. But how is a 16-year-old left back or a 22-year-old player that gets drafted in the MLS supposed to compete with Ashley Cole. Yeah. You know, like, so you, point? you, you stunt their growth and you, you, you stunt their whole career. Cause then you send that kid to the second division team. And then that, that, that hope is done. And all we, we get, all we, all the fans get, all the galaxy get, it's a year of Ashley Cole. A year of Ashley Cole. Yeah. And I mean, in another, in a, in a, in a better structured development system, you can do that because then you have the 16, 17 year old playing in the academy or developing. He's, still, he's still developing. Yeah. Whereas here there's no, you're either on an MLS roster or you're not. Yeah. And, and that's, that's all lost potential. You know, you lose a 17 year old, 18 year old and dang this, done. this he's done. He has to climb up this hill. His morale is just like, that's not how lottery, it's a lottery after that. Exactly. You can't you can't expect us to be a top powerhouse in the world if we're not taking care of the young players or the players that go through this. We're not taking care of no player, yeah. no coach, no system. All we're taking care of is money, bro, and putting people in the seats. And honestly, bro, the Iguain brothers and the DP players in the MLS, they don't put me in the seats. I don't go there to watch somebody like I, I have no problem. They're, they're legends. They had their primes. I was cheering for them and they were killing it around Madrid. But, they, you know, they have to understand, not they have to understand, because I understand it's a business. They come here, they get paid, you know, they, they're ballers. But America has to understand, owners have to understand that the league is not ever going to get anywhere if we, if we... Putting up all this big money for these guys, too, yeah. When it comes yeah, to we keep paying these big money for these, these older guys, and we make it a retired league. I don't want the MLS to be a retired league. Cause yeah, like you do over in Asia and all those places. Exactly, bro. And the thing is, look at the March Madness, NBA, NFL. There's a market for amateur sports. There's millions of dollars being made. So let's do business. Let's, but we have the markets. We have the talent, the product. We just don't have the system, bro. And and it's it's so disorganized. And yeah, I understand greed is a thing and money is a thing. But like. All right, let's get this money together. Let's fix to have the proper system, bro. Let's get the people who've been up top and comfortable out of these 
out of these places, you know, every, everything up top is filled. So for people like us trying to elbow our way in is it's hard to get a position of not even power of position of influence. Yeah, you can't. You, I mean, you really can't. Definitely, definitely, you know, the amateur leagues need to play a big role in this and they need to be not just supported by the community, but also by the owners and by the staff and everything, you know, everyone behind the scenes has to realize that this is a bigger picture yeah. Picture than just money, you know, because in 100 years, bro, we're still going to be doing the same shit instead of having a tradition like Manchester United. No, bro. Like we have the best resources. We have the best stadiums. We have the best athletes here in America. We have graduated enough people like me and you through the system. People who are older than us to teach our youth, to keep our youth here so we don't have to export it out. You know, think about if if we were exporting out NBA players, if we have the best NBA players in the world and we're exporting them out and not keeping yeah. it because we don't have an American league. That makes zero sense, bro. Like, man, so a lot of it has to change. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people have to get on the right page for due to do this and to get to the right direction. But, you know, it's brick by brick, bro. We conversations like this that are going to spark another candle and they're going to bring us together man so let's loop it back to your indoor career bro so i man one year turned into nine years bro so tell, tell us tell us how it's been tell us a little bit behind the scenes or you know about the culture behind the indoor league so for, for those that don't know indoor um i think it's the longest running um professional soccer league in america uh it's been around forever it's changed names a million times it's changed names maybe two or three times since i've been in the league um right now it's the masl uh teams all the way from mexico so we play against monterey we play against sonora um all the way to there's mexican teams in this league yeah bro you gotta go you gotta go i didn't know i, I haven't like i follow i see your games but like, I was... like it man it's it's a yo for those that don't know it's a it's a super exciting sport bro Bro, I'm going to, what? So they have Mexican teams on this, in this, Mexican Canadian teams and USA teams. So, so Monterey and Sonora are the two Mexican teams in the league. Um, and obviously they couldn't do it this past season with COVID and as a lot of teams couldn't. And then there was one Canadian team this past uh, two years ago was Mississauga, but it's usually North America or it, it's usually like everyone in America and then two Mexican teams. I got you. And you were at Utica FC? Yeah, so it was Syracuse at first, and if anyone's seen oh, Syracuse Silver Knights, if anyone's seen the movie, you seen Semi Pro? Yeah, uh, Will Ferrell, no, yeah. Will Ferrell, yeah. So the way it was run was it, we joke about it, like because it was Tommy, our our owner Tommy Tanner, who did everything. You know, he everyone on the team owes him. He ran everything by himself, like him and one or two other people, um, and. It, he he just made it possible in Syracuse. There are some, there were some teams like Milwaukee Wave, Baltimore Blast, uh, San Diego Soccer's teams that have been around for 20, 30 years that the highest standard from any pro team you play on. Um, and we did it as best we could at Syracuse with, with what we had for us. Um, and fortunately a owner came in and wanted to um, buy the team out uh, out of Utica, which is only about an hour away. And the owner actually owns the hockey team, the AHL hockey team, which yeah. is like the second tier to the NHL. Um, he owns a hockey team there. So he turned it into something incredible 
over yeah. the last two years. So we've been in Milwaukee or we've been in Utica the last two years, man. Every game's a sellout. Four thousand people every game. Like the level in general, the level of play is incredible. Right? Oh, bro. So you've been with one team the whole this whole indoor league. Essentially, so yeah, Syracuse was bought out by Utica and went to Utica, but yeah, same team. Man, that's dope. That's dope. So, I've seen the game. The spaces for those for for people that don't know, bro, playing indoor or playing soccer inside is way harder than playing it outside. There's big athletic, much more technical game. It's a more much more technical game. Yeah, there there is big, strong, athletic soccer players. Physical too. Yeah, physical. So I see the space, I see the stadium, I see the atmosphere you playing, and I'm like, bro, this is lit, and it's it's fast, and that's what people as, as, as Americans will relate to it. Exactly, if that's what Americans want to see, they want to see something fast, a lot of goals. So definitely something for you know up and coming soccer fanatics to definitely tune in, bro. The, the fact that you guys have sold out crowds been in the league and now there's Mexican teams that blows my mind that is you know, dope. You know, you know Landon Donovan was playing in the league two years ago right with San Diego yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine Jones was playing with Ontario but to me the level is indoor soccer's similar in a sense we get a lot of futsal players so a yeah. lot of like Brazilians a lot of Dominican or players from Costa Rica Mexico a lot of Mexican players um, Serbians, Eastern Europeans. It's mostly a foreign league. Very wow. few Americans. Um, a lot of goals, fast, physical, very similar to futsal, but the biggest difference where futsal players have a harder time transitioning is it's a lot more physical. So you're allowed to, if your player passes the ball, you can like check them a bit. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's fast. So it's five V five. Um, a lot of goals. It's like hockey in a sense where you have most teams are split into three lines of five, two defenders, two midfielders, and a striker, or two lines of five, depending on how much quality your team has. You guys are all patient. Yeah, and you're always subbing with the same person. Uh, and you pull yourself out. So it's like you're really so supposed to only, if you play the game the right way and you play against good teams, you'll only be on the field for – 45 seconds to a minute and a half at a time but bro you're gassed i bet bro i bet you're sprinting the whole time so it's like if i'm marking you and the good teams the best teams the baltimore's milwaukee's say i'm marking kevin you're just gonna run around keep me honest as a defender and then you're gonna sub out but i can't sub out because the good teams are smart and they'll it's it's man to man so they're gonna boom get on boom go so I have to stay on for the next guy who just subbed for you. He'll run you to death. You're, wow. You can't breathe. The next guy will come back on, boom, your shot, goal. So it's like if you don't play the game the right way, you'll, you'll get killed. But fans love it because scores can be 13 to 10. But it's, bro, it's, it's a, it's a, I've fallen in love with it, to be honest. That's dope. Yeah, man. I, I love that you're still doing. I love that you're a vet. And you're a powerhouse in this league, bro. You're <laughs> Team, so I, I didn't think I'd see the day, but I've been here a long time now in this league. Man, but the best part, bro, is that it's back home, bro. To where that's the craziest thing, bro. I can continue so, doing my business, and, and I don't sacrifice anything. It's wild, bro. And it's all because of soccer, G. It's all soccer's kept you there. You know, yeah. I've seen, bro. So for you to have a youth career, a pro indoor career, a business, 
winning, winning, going, joining a team halfway through in USL and winning a championship, bro. What? Bro. The team's an hour away from me. It's crazy. Bro, people, that USL is a big flex. Stop playing with you. Yeah, bro. big flex, bro. I got the ring in the ring in the safe still, man. Water around the neck. That's right. <laughs> to to I'll link up all, all the Utica and stuff, uh, you know. People can check out because that is definitely an up and coming league. It's a league that needs to be supported in smaller communities. You know, it's fast, is entertaining, um, kind of like a lot, a lot of a lot of talent, man. Yeah, and there's a lot of talent. So a lot of talent. And so I feel like you know, instead of, for example, instead of these, you hear these youth leagues like we're the biggest league, we're the biggest league. Like no, like doing a movement for the youth to play indoor like this or to like follow or to stuff like that, you know, which is another business, another avenue for money. Again, it's another problem with America, but you have guys going because you're not making enough money USL. A lot of guys do back and forth because the seasons line up where you play indoor outdoor. That's crazy. Got to get him on get grind. So let's talk about your, uh, about your business, your, your soccer school, um, because you're someone, you know, that, has graduated from the system, uh, has went on to play, went on to play college and then went on to play pro, but you've had this skill school and you've had this business. And I feel like you're one of those people that have, there's doing it the right way, you know, uh, inviting the facility, you're providing the skills and you're providing the product, bro. A lot of, a lot of everything that, you know, you're looking for a private training, your operation, checks off the list, bro. So can you give us a little information about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that because obviously you and I have spoken off camera about, you know, if you live in a country where soccer is the culture, mm -hmm. they don't have private trainers, you don't have this big, and to be honest, it's, it's a, in a lot of areas, we've seen it, it's a big money grab, man. It's become this new phenomenon where these people are Instagram trainers and yeah. it's just, it, it's sad to see because it, it, it's so prevalent now and there's so many people doing it. Um, but again, we've spoken where I personally believe in America, it's necessary just because we don't live in a soccer culture. Mm -hmm. So if my kid is playing for uh, the local club team, maybe the coach isn't, maybe the club's not providing them the structure they need. The, they're not training as much as they need. These kids need to be playing all the time. So I started, I'll, I'll give a little background to it. I moved back to Syracuse, as we talked about in earlier in the podcast. And I just, I had always, we talked about my dad being very like wild, doing things his own way. So I always grew up myself, basically private training, but not hiring someone by myself with my brother, with my dad. My dad was essentially uh, my trainer. So I came back and I just wanted to make some extra money and help the kids and and um, it just blew up like wildfire, man. I, I love doing it, first of all. There's nothing better than connecting with a kid, being their mentor, you know, pointing them and trying to help them in areas that I would have killed for, you would have killed for when you were a kid. Like you said, Paul Caligari helped you, pointed you this way, that way. Like, upstate yeah. New York, we don't have that, bro. Like, the best these kids can think of, even fathom, is the top players go to Syracuse University. Like, it's a good program, but that's like one out of every four years goes there. And it's not kids to, to just have opportunities you didn't have and the mentorship you didn't have. Um, and it's blown up into something I couldn't imagine. Um, 
do it every day, me and one of my other teammates, um, Darren Toby. And we just try to help the kids as much as possible. And as like we've talked about, I don't think in a perfect culture, private training, group training is what these, com what these countries like Spain and they're not doing that. That's not the key to getting us World Cups, but we have to work with what we have. And if the people who know the game the most are willing to teach and this is the environment they'll teach in, it, it can help the players a lot. In a perfect world, I'll Bitcoin will go to the moon, Dogecoin goes to the moon, and I do this and I can just, yeah, I can do it out of the, just out of my passion and my joy. Um, but for me, it's, it's my best way I can know to give back and I can and do it as much as possible because the people of Syracuse and Utica have been so good to me. Yeah, bro, I love it. You know, that's what it is. Giving back, you know, you've, me and you have benefited extremely from this sport. So for you to come back home and provide opportunities for your hometown, that's what it's about, bro. So like I said, you, you're the person that I look at, you know, my Instagram and I follow and you're doing it right. Everything that I look is soccer related. There's no crazy cones. There's, you know, like we see these, like you said. People have them going through like circus stuff, man. Like choreographed. It's just, it's crazy, man. And yeah, like you said, in a perfect world, we we wouldn't have to charge for soccer. But it's sad that the system, we you know, in a perfect world, we don't we wouldn't have to charge for soccer for private training. Yeah. But it, the the way the system is here in America, one, it's a there's a demand for it for this service for private training, and two, the system has made it where we have to start our own thing and then sell soccer. Yeah. You know, and charge for our time and our experience. At the end of the day, is a business. But it shouldn't have to be like that, you say, you know, but the way exactly. you're, the way your school is, how organized it is, bro, that's how you build culture. And you're building culture in your area, which is even is the dream. So my hats off to you, bro. Props to, for for this school and, and for giving back to the game, bro. It's all to elevate the game. And, and I see that. you. So, yeah, man. So we know, you know, that the system is flawed. The system has, you know, it's it's mangled. It's in shambles. So. What's the problem? I believe that we have the talent, we have the potential, but we just don't have the infrastructure. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the problem with soccer in America, US soccer? Yeah, I, I think to get to, the, to get to the answer of a problem, you have to go to the root. And so you have to start as young as the kids are. And like we've spoken on, like you said, you're selling soccer. So it's these clubs are charging a premium. There's no setup, there's no structure to where there's programs where these kids go for free and the talent is in, isn't in the mom or dad who can pay $10,000 a year to get their kid to play soccer. Like the parents want it more than those kids. The kids that want it don't have the necessary means to play for these top clubs, unless they have scholarship programs, which again, it's getting better. Yeah. Um, but you have every club saying, I can do this or I can do that, or I'll do it the right way. And everyone's pulling at a different system. Whereas in Europe or other countries, you see Kev joined Chelsea Academy and you are seeing Frank Lampard every day in the cafeteria. You see this, what clear path is there for a youth in America to make it to MLS? I played, how many, I played for probably eight different club teams before I was 16. Like you're just going from team to team 
these players are in this system learning the game at such a higher level. Tactically, they're so much further along because they've been playing the same way, the same system, the same everything forever. And here it's like, you just look for the best team. Mom and dad want your team to win. And the, I mean, bro, there's so many issues. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. You, know, you got to, I don't even know where to start. Just like, yeah, exactly. Just like there's so many amateur leagues, USL1, USL2. Same thing with the youth, bro. There's so many now, leagues. There's and and you know, there's people who play, the system doesn't have to be like this, you know, where, you know, where parents have to find the best teams or, or kids have to, you know, there's kids that are into there. There's parents who are into this. They're doing it the right way. They're trying to compete, find the best team for their kid to develop and to train and actually, you know, win. But again, they go to these clubs and they're fed a dream and fed a lie. Like, Hey, we're going to recruit. We're going to develop your kid to play in the college and we're gonna we're gonna develop your kid to play D one, and that's yeah. one problem that with these you know they sh that shouldn't be the priority. And two is like, where's the proof that you're gonna get my kid to the to the pros or to the college? Like and the, the level of coaching as well. It's like it's just yeah. not there in a lot of places. It's these these clubs, like you said, they're all the people at the top are good business people. They're business owners. They don't doesn't mean the the coaches they hire know what they're doing. Yes. they're trying to make a buck they're not trying to a lot there are and again like i want to set you up i think you'd have someone who would know a lot more than me and be much more insightful and this is yannick like he's in the game to the fullest and the way they do it at met oval is i believe is the best yeah. i've seen at least in the northeast yeah. from the way they treat their players and their goal and the level they want their coaches to be at and the level they hold their club at. And then I see these other clubs and I'm like, America's so big, man. It's like, there's so much bad information out there and there's so many salesmen out there that it just ruins it. Yeah. I hear you. And yeah, Yannick is definitely someone I'm going to bring on the podcast. Cause he's, he's also done it on, he's done it on his yeah. own, yeah. you know, and now he's at Met Oval and he's running a good operation there. And you know, if, if, there is clubs out there that, that have good programs. But again, like the access to these big clubs is still minimal, still limited. My solution is like, okay, let's have these big clubs. Cool. Or maybe not have these big clubs, but let's fund the public school. Yeah. My reason for funding the public schools is not because I come from the public schools. It's no, it's to give access to everybody. Everyone. We're so big. We're so vast as, as, as a country. So we should have an immense pool of talent to select from, but we don't have an umbrella. We don't have a system where we can recruit, where we can keep track of players, just like the Dortmund or the Chelsea or the Ajax. Right. But why don't we do it by district? We have a census. We have, you know, we keep everything organized by school districts. We, we can locate kids these days by their school districts. So why doesn't the Federation, why doesn't the MLS put their best coaches there? Put their best coaches there and start implementing soccer to the everyday curriculum of the American child. And they see you every day. They play soccer every day. And then boom, once they at a certain age, you go academy. Kind exactly. Of so, you know, you have elementary, middle school, high school, and then there's the in-school part. There's the after school part. And then obviously we were recouped by districts and the kids that are good, you put the district team and they compete against other districts and then they go state, then they go to regional. But there's 20, there's 26 MLS teams in 
there's 26 MLS teams in the United States. That's 24, 20, 20 plus cities where we can start like this. Yeah, I understand it's huge and that's going to be our biggest problem. But if Let's we're start. and we recruit by district, we're going to keep track of it and it's going to be possible. And all do is provide stability for a coach, for the kids and for the parents. And you do that by putting someone who represents the galaxy, someone represents New York, Red Bulls in the school and stuff like that. Success Academy is doing it in New York City. They're, they're a, a network of charter schools, but they're not under the federation. It's I worked in that program and it's proof that it's working, that can work. That, that program is seven years old now. And bro, these kids are developing amazing and they're staying together and they're growing together, traveling to Spain, you know, training every day. So I think what you don't want it to become would be just another avenue for players. You know, it would have to be a consensus from U.S. soccer. Like, this is the model. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, that's what happens with clubs. Do you think I can do it? Someone else. Yeah. So many and then it becomes just another option. Like, but, ODP, like all that, you know? Exactly. So, but look, if it's in the public school system, it comes from USA soccer, U.S. soccer to the MLS. They deal, you know, with the curriculum on how everything should do. They send out these people that represent both the MLS and the Federation in these communities, bro. This is what LAFC should be doing in South Central LA and all. I think Philly's doing something like that. I see Philly does something with the school program because my boy works there. So I have a friend that works in the MLS and he told me, he's like, every MLS class has their different model. LA has a different model. Texas, uh, Houston has their own model. Yeah. And Philly is one of the more promising models where they're developing talent in the public school. So I'm going to do my homework and, you know, reach out to a few Philly people and yeah. see what's behind the scenes, because I feel like, you know, half of the, half of the, half of the battle is reforming the system, but the other half is building culture. There is a word that's thrown around a lot, but no one has a definition of it. And it has a vast definition, but you put coaches in public schools, you give them stability. They're getting paid just like educators. They have benefits. They're not, it's not seasonal like these clubs. So you provide stability to keep a coach there. You provide stability for a parent. A parent doesn't have to drive two hours for a game or drive 30 minutes for a practice. They're providing everything they need at their school. Think about it, bro. Me and you, we're going to have future kids. And if my kid could go to this program and then come to me and train, how good we have soccer already. He's logging in those hours, comes in, trains with someone else, logs in those hours. And we could do that with every sport, basketball, football, and provide these these opportunities of these scholarships for every athlete and every kid in America. So I think yeah. this this is bigger than just you know us won winning World Cups is us providing the right system in the public schools for kids to get opportunities and you know get out of these inner cities and elevate. That's gonna actually build culture and elevate our game, bro. We're gonna have keep track of our players, develop our players and then be able to export our players for millions of dollars. But we have the best athletes we have here in America. I can for sure guarantee if you develop the right athlete for 10 years, he's going to be ready to go to Barcelona, ready to go to Chelsea. And then we sign him from here, bro. Like, that's how we make our money. That's what keeps up the, 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 the club and funding alive. So is there anyone, is there any, is, is success Academy, is success Academy, right? Are they trying to do it? more outside of new york or? it's just in new york because those success academy has 80 schools in new york city so in no like they have 50 schools and in, in, they have 50 schools in new york city 
and all over the boroughs. And in 15, they have that soccer program. So it's growing within the program. But my thing is just like, it's, it's a great program, but it's not at the, at the national scale. So for it to be at the national scale, it has to come from the Federation and the MLS. They have to shine and be like, oh, let's copy and paste because it's actually working. And it's not just working, bro. It's working in New York City where, you know. Talent everywhere, too. Talent everywhere, but the space is limited. So yeah. you do it in New York and, and you can provide access to the inner city kid and everyday child. We can do it everywhere, everywhere else in America. And that's, you know, how we build, start building that culture and actually gives these kids something to play for you know they'll represent their district throughout their whole life they'll go on and play and still represent uh hometown you know so i think it's it's where we maybe not start heading through the right direction but maybe start like you know analyzing and, and working in it just the culture for me again starts bottom up it's we have to figure out exactly what we want to do you have to take there's it's just like, I don't know how you even take the money out of it when the money's the one who runs it now. So it's, I don't even know how you would begin to do it. Um, because that's the way every professional American sports ran. Yeah. If you look, like you, you look at, that's the way the NBA's ran. That's the way everything's ran. AAU, you have all the same things. It's just no other countries in the world play these sports. So it's like, yeah. we think we're the best, but no one plays football. <laughs> imagine if they had an academy system for football that same structure yeah like we probably would be terrible there too yeah yeah and we're good and we have great nfl players the best league for football and the best league for basketball is because basketball and football is rooted in the public school system bro you yeah. know when you go to public school what's lit the basketball game underprivileged kids are playing yeah basketball football Mm -hmm. but but they're being provided at least the atmosphere to play in cheerleaders uh, you know when we play soccer Wednesday game dead no one's there like no one really cares but what an advantage that football and basketball have is yeah they're the more common sports and the more popular sports but because they're provided in the school you, every yeah. school you know everyone every school has a football team so we have to also give that importance to soccer man so yeah I'm a, I'm a huge MLS fan I know uh, you are. There's better quality soccer, uh, but I grew up with the league, man. I grew up in Pasadena, California, home of the Rose Bowl, home of the Galaxy. So I've had a, you know, a special place for the MLS. So what teams do you follow? What players do you follow, man? I mean, for me, again, there's no, there's no MLS team in the area. So I follow, I try to follow more friends and former players. Yeah, facts. Uh, I mean, growing up, I like the Metro Stars, man. I was a Metro Stars guy because it was the closest team with Clint Mathis, Tony Miola, you know, yep. legends. Um, now, like, I hate to say it, man, I don't follow it as close as I should. No, I hear you. I hear you, bro. And then For me, it's more about keeping tabs on my boys and, and USL and MLS and more so than teams. And again, that comes back to culture. Like, if, exactly. there, were promo if there were promotion relegation, maybe a team in Syracuse one day would have potential of being in MLS if they worked from the fourth division to, and then you're involved, you're invested in the league because you can't relate to, I can't relate to any of the team unless you're born in that city. Like you can't relate. We can't relate to a team with the Iguain brothers coming here. Like yeah, it's, what they're here for. We know here they're here to retire and their, their family and American experience. And it's cool. Close out your career like that, but not in a league that has such potential, not in a league where, you know, we can have the best athletes 
Um, but it's true, bro. Like the MLS is definitely growing, but it's still not cultivating. It's still not capturing people like me and you, you know, the, the people that are actually grown in the system. I asked a bunch of my friends and they, they don't really care about an MLS. So I want, I want to see it grow. I want to see it, you know, flourish. Cause I, I really think that again, it could be a super league and it could be the tip of the iceberg for us to develop and, you know, garnish up the best talent in the country. So I think, yeah, I think for me, and it would be more popular in America if they're, again, the cult, the promotion relegation, because then you have the whole country invested because each city in America now has a, a team that plays in whatever, NPSL, all these leagues. If there were opportunity for those teams to be making MLS as far-fetched as it is, like you're still going to pay attention to MLS. You're going to be invested. You want... You want to be out at the games. You want your teams to be there. But without that, it's like, if I don't have an MLS team in my backyard, why am I why am I going to watch? And if I know they're going to be in the league every year, like, I'm not a diehard. Look at the even the fans of NFL and NBA. You can't compare them to people who have been their fans their whole lives. Or, okay. that bro, that's life or death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, my team's all, I'm a, for NFL, I'm a Cowboys fan. They're always going to be in the NFL. They're okay. always going to be on the news. They're. I don't need to, I don't need to be as invested because they're always there. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing to play for, bro. There's again, there's no, no accountability to success. You know, you almost are, we're almost forcing ourselves to love it just because we love soccer. So I'll watch every MLS game that's on, but just because of my passion for the game, it's got nothing to do with the product MLS has put out. As a oh, that's really shit I heard today, bro. It's just out of respect for the game. Yeah, back for the games, man. Let me ask you, um, realistically, where do you think U.S. soccer will be in the next two, three years? So I, I think to be realistic, we, we've got to qualify for this next World Cup with this group we have. Um, it's an amazing group, by the way. Amazing group. Um, I think they're one World Cup away from the prime. So I think 2026 is when we really make a run at it. A lot of these guys will be in their primes, um, have to make, they have to obviously qualify first. This group shouldn't have a problem with that. But again, until you do it, they haven't done anything. Yeah. Uh, say soccer in America hasn't gotten better would be a lie because it has. Yeah. But we just know where it should be and what it should be. Because from when you and I were playing, the opportunity, and we've talked about it throughout this whole podcast, has gotten better. I never had a chance of signing out of you when a team you've been playing for the club homegrown sorry yeah so like that was never an opportunity when i was growing up it wasn't it didn't exist so like to see that these players do have chance a lot of these players in big cities like new york are signing with nycfc um and red bull out of high school structure is getting better mm -hmm. but it's still so broken at the bottom that i think for us to be realistic it would be crazy to say we're a top nation in the, in the world. Could we be because of our talent, this one generation? Yeah. But who comes along after this generation? We don't know. I think with America, it would be, it's going to be a generation, the generation thing. Sometimes we'll be great. Sometimes mm -hmm. we'll mm -hmm. struggle and not and struggle qualifying for the world cup just because the structure isn't there to be consistent. Bro. Well, fucking said. Dog. Well, you know, like, well, like, you could have a once-in-generation team, okay, but want to be consistent. 
Yeah, there's no consistency for the generations to come. There's no consistency for us. So very well said, man. Realistically, yeah, bro. I, I think the next World Cup next year is is big. Qualify and do well, I think. Qualify, do well. 2026, they should compete for, they should be in it. I agree because I, I want to see us win a World Cup in our lifetime. And I think that's a possibility for you to say 2026 for us to have a good run. It's a possibility possibility so it's good to hear it's good for me to hear because someone else thinks so too you know yeah. so i wouldn't bet on it like if i'm a gambling man but it's it's it should be the strongest team we've had ever you I look hear. at guys like serginho and bro guys coming up all over the place pulisic and M mckinney and tyler adams i mean this is the most we've had young players playing in europe bro, at a high level zach stefan just won the stefan mom bro like we, we should we should you know i'm definitely going to tune in i'm definitely going to cover it and america should be excited you know we can bash all we want we can talk about the system but at the end of the day bro it's not the worst like we have a good talent we have a good roster so let's hope for the best and let's support this team let's support our soccer thank you for your time bro a lot was covered a lot you know was said a lot of information um, this is not the only time I interview you. I know I will, we'll, we'll do other stuff together. Um, that was I really fun, man. Thank Thanks you for having me, man. This is going to be, it's going to be a good podcast. I'm excited to see where you take it, man. I hear you, bro. And this is, this really episode two, bro. So for, you know, I think it's important for me and for the growth of this podcast to start close to home for people that I know to have a conversation, a real conversation like this. So I think it went pretty smooth, bro. And we covered a lot and, you know, and I feel like there's still more that we need to cover you on back again and yeah bro thanks again big dog yeah bro all the best man that was fun peace peace